In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Please be seated. We are in uh, chapter 18 of Matthew's Gospel, uh, just after the passage last week. You'll remember that last week we um, heard about how to call a brother to repent, uh, right? And that it takes that um, one-on-one, that we go to our brother alone, and then we go to these increasing circles of uh, community within the church. And this uh, method of bringing another to repentance is then followed by this parable of the unforgiving servant. So our focus here is on forgiveness. Um, How do we forgive? Uh, What is required of us to forgive and to be forgiven? And a really wonderful place to go to uh, think about forgiveness and to get some thoughts about forgiveness um, is to the wisdom of Ben Sirach. This is um, a beautiful uh, a beautiful collection uh, of work by um, a professor at uh, the school in Jerusalem and later at Alexandria where also his grandson taught, a man by the name of Ben Sirach. He's writing in about 180 BC and so he's writing in Greek and uh, what he's doing is he's compiling all of the wisdom literature, he's compiling the prophets. And he's summarizing for us what all the prophets and what all the wisdom literature says. And uh, what Ben Sirach says is um, quite profound. And when we see it, we realize um, how closely um, Jesus' teaching about uh, wisdom and forgiveness is linked to Ben Sirach. Uh, and why we, when we read um, especially these works of the Deuterocanon, they seem like um, prologues to the New Testament. You can really see that here today, especially in what he says about um, our coming before the Lord. He says that um, those um, that are sinful and that hold anger and uh, wrath fast um, will not be able to be forgiven. Um, That when we're holding on to anger and wrath, then um, that's what we've chosen. And that's what we're bringing before the Lord. We're bringing anger and wrath before Him. I liken it to a buffet, right? When we go to the buffet, uh, we get to choose. And uh, some of us don't choose wisely, right? Um, If we had a good um, parent or maybe we walked in with a nutritionist, our plates would look very different, right? Uh, They would tell us, oh, you need a little bit of this and you need a little bit of that. And this is what's going to be healthy for you, right? Most of us um, get out looking like some crazed lunatic, right? With uh, au jus all over um, everything. Um, and, uh, and so sometimes, um, you know, we get what we asked for, you know, and then when we see it um, in reality, we realize, oh, is that really um, what I wanted? <clears throat> and anger and wrath are like that. Sometimes we get into the habit of anger and wrath. Sometimes we get into the habit of focusing on it. We get into the habit of focusing on the way that other people wronged us. We get um, into the habit of focusing about how other people are not measuring up, about how other people aren't doing what they're supposed to do, right? And it's very convenient because all that time that we're spending on our anger and wrath towards other people, we're of course not examining ourselves, so we get to have this kind of blindness according to our own um, state, and we get to focus on others. Well, at least I'm not as bad as him, right? But the, the, the... the, the situation that Ben Sirach paints for us is that when we go to the judgment, when we go to the Lord upon our death, uh, what we bring to him is um, what we will receive. You know, he is the cashier at the end and he's going to give us what we ask for. 
Um, and so what we want to do is rather than harboring anger and resentment, rather than focusing upon these things, we want to cultivate and we want to think about uh, forgiveness, right? Um, we want to seek healing and we want to um, remember the end of our life. And, and this, is a, this is a philosophical, spiritual antidote to anger and wrath, right? He's saying, think about going before the Lord, right? Think about what it's going to look like when you're there and um, what it is that you're holding on to, right? What is it that you're grasping? Um, what is it that is really near and dear to you? And if we're holding on to forgiveness, if we're holding on to mercy, if we're holding on to pity, if these are the habits of our mind and the habits of our heart, this is what we're going to receive. And he warns us against vengeance. We've talked about for the last couple of weeks, and, and, and we read that vengeance strictly belongs to the Lord, right? So, um, of course, there are going to be um, results or consequences to sin, right? Um, there are absolutely consequences to sin. We want to warn other people, right? We've talked about calling others to repentance, warning others to these things. And so we want to um, be drawing attention to the results, to the consequence of sin, um, but providing those consequences, providing those results, strictly belongs to the Lord. Why is that? Why does vengeance strictly belong to the Lord? Because he's the most concerned with the heart. And so are you and I. We make a big difference in distinction between murder and uh, manslaughter, as we call it, in the law. Right? It's a very important distinction to us. Do they mean to do it? We often ask. We know that there's a big difference between meaning to hurt somebody and hurting somebody by accident. And the only one that can see into the heart is the Lord. We can't see our own hearts. Our own hearts are confused. What we want is confused, is again evidenced by the way that we go into a buffet, right? We end up walking around in circles, right? Confused about what it is that we want. So only the Lord can see the heart, only the Lord can see intention, and so this is why vengeance only belongs to Him, because He rewards the heart. He rewards where the heart lies. And, and while we can see this philosophically, and we can see it played out um, in, a, in a reasonable, logical manner, the way that this uh, wonderful professor Ben Sirach does for us, um, Jesus goes to the heart itself, doesn't He, in the parables? He, he gets us right where um, our heart lies. And so the parables are meant to expose for us those gut reactions, right? Jesus is saying, well, let me, let me test your gut reaction to this situation. And so the gut reaction to the situation that he poses is of the unforgiving servant. Now, um, I want to talk a little bit about, um, about this um, you know, practice of forgiveness um, first off and, and how he gets to it and that is that um, Peter says in response to the teaching about um, calling the brother to repentance he's saying well how many times should we do that right and uh, Jesus says well as many as it takes right I had a teacher come to me the other day in a classroom and say how many times should I pick up and comfort a child who's crying and my answer was as many as it takes right we don't say I've comforted you enough Right? When we're crying, when we're in need of being comforted, when we're in sorrow, the, the only response is to comfort, right? Um, the numbers are wonderful, and I'll just talk about this for a minute because you all know that I love numbers, right? Um, the basic numbers of Scripture are three and four, right? Three is the number of heaven, four is the number of creation, right? And so what we do with three and four is important. Um, heaven times earth, 
the multiplication of God's glory is found in the twelve uh, tribes of Israel and in the twelve apostles, right? Uh, the apostolic ministry magnifies the glory of God. It spreads forgiveness. It spreads worship of God, right? So it magnifies it, multiplies it, right? Three times four being twelve. So we see this multiplication of the gospel and of the kingdom, right? By the apostolic ministry. Three plus four is heaven and earth, right? So it's both together, which means all things, completeness, right? So the seven days of creation, the day of rest, right? God rested because his work was complete. It was done. It was finished. It was whole, right? And so seven is a, a, a number of wholeness, a number of completeness. And so what's Jesus saying here by um, saying 70 times seven or seven times 70, depending on, on what translation you have? He's saying completeness times completeness. Wholeness times wholeness. He's saying this is what we're about. We're about comforting. We're about forgiving. This is our job. It's not like we say, oh, that's enough. You know, I've sold enough goods. I've comforted enough people. I've given enough compassion. This is who we are. We are compassion people. We are mercy people. Um, this is what we're set about to do. There's no end to that as there's no end, thanks be to God, to his compassion and mercy. And so he uses these um, radical numbers again. Seven times 70 is a radical number. And then the number of forgiveness is a radical number as well. The, the servant, the unforgiving servant that comes to him <clears throat> owes uh, 10,000 talents, which is a huge number, right? The, the daily wage of a person at this time was one denarii. One denarii is what you would get for a day's wage. So let's think of that as maybe like $100, right? So um, the, the later servant who owes 100 denarii, right? He's owing, what, like $10,000, right? So he has a $10,000 debt. Well, a talent is like 6,000 denarii. This is like 19 years of work, one talent. It's like 19 years of work, right? So this is like a career. He doesn't owe one talent. What does he owe? 10,000 talents. This is a day's wage for like 190,000 people. And modern biblical archaeologists argue that that might have been the population of the district of Galilee at the time that Jesus was preaching. And because he is the God of the heavens and the earth, he knows exactly how many people are in uh, Galilee, and so I don't wonder if this 194,000 is exactly how many people that he was talking to, right? And he is saying to them, right, that the Lord is ready to forgive your debts, your daily wage, which is what we say in the Lord's Prayer, right? Daily bread, the daily wage. I'm ready to forgive all of your daily wages today. I'm willing to forgive all of your debts today. That number is immense. And so the, the magnitude of this number, the, the magnanimity of God's grace is, um, should be just outrageous to us. And then when we see somebody receive that level of forgiveness, that level of debt forgiveness, when we see him go after the man that owes the hundred denarii, that should hit us right in the gut like, Ugh. that's your response? To this incredible gift of forgiveness is to hold another to account in aggression. In other words, you didn't get it. You don't get what you were forgiven, right? You don't even understand. This unforgiving servant doesn't even understand what he was forgiven. He doesn't feel it. He doesn't know it. We hear it in the parable and we feel it and we know it. And this one that was forgiven doesn't even know 
what it was that he was forgiven. He's got no way to respond to it. And Jesus says um, that we have to not only feel it in our gut, um, but we have to forgive from our heart. (laughs) We have to feel our forgiveness so that from the heart, all those things that others did to us can be let go. And I don't know about you, but when we say, you know, thanks be to God at the end of the gospel lesson, I'm thinking, thanks be to God. (laughs) Right? You'll be thrown in jail if you don't forgive from your heart. All of our response should be, okay. (laughs) The same way to me that when we say the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our debts as, as... as we forgive others, we shouldn't be saying, you know, my, my response sometimes in saying that is, as I forgive others. Right? There's a warning here. And frankly, we can't do it. You can't do it. You can't change your heart that way. You can't feel that. It's only by the power of the Holy Spirit that our hearts can be transformed to that degree to receive that kind of grace. We cannot do it on our own. It takes the power of the Holy Spirit to transform us. And the discipline that we undertake in order to daily turn to the Holy Ghost, to daily expose our hearts to Him, to daily receive that forgiveness, is something that uh, St. Paul is laying out for us in um, his letter to the Romans, chapter 14. When he says, whatever you're doing, you're doing it to the Lord. If you're a Christian, right, whatever you're doing, as you're forgiving, as as you're celebrating, as you're praying, you're doing it all to the Lord. He says, we are the Lord's. And so then he says, why do you pass judgment on your brother or despise him? For we all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And this is the, again, the antidote um, that Ben Sirach talks about. This is the focus of the heart and the mind. We have to be focused upon the judgment seat of Christ. And the church teaches that there are two judgments, right? We're all going to have two judgments. The final judgment is the second coming of our Lord, right? He is going to come again to do what? To judge the living and the dead. He's going to judge all people of all time. This will be the final, complete judgment. Everybody who has ever lived, the living and the dead, right? Everybody is finally judged when Christ comes again. And there is a personal judgment. When these bodies are worn and they decay and we die, we stand before the Lord. And he says to us, this is what I gave you. What did you do with it? I gave you this many days. I gave you these people. I gave you these skills. I gave you this much money. What did you do with it? He's going to open the checkbook. He's going to open our calendar. He's going to say, how did you spend these days? There's going to be an accounting. And that should be terrifying. We should be afraid of that. Terrifying to the degree that we need to be looking right now at our checkbooks, at our calendars, at the time that we spend, and to see, how am I spending it? Am I spending it into service of others? Am I spending it on the Lord? Am I spending it in practicing mercy and forgiveness? Am I practicing it... I'm spending it on on turning to the Lord and to His ways, or am I using it to judge and criticize and to be angry, to be resentful, and to get what's mine? That accounting does an incredible work for us. It, It hopefully awakens us. And again, this is what Jesus teaches when He says, 
we will be forgiven as we forgive those who have sinned against us. And as he says, um, for those who mourn. Blessed are those who mourn. This business about the days, the the feast days, the fasting days, is really important, especially, I think, for for liturgical Christians, for Anglicans, because we get really excited about our feasts and fasts, right? And it becomes very important to us, and we really want to encourage everybody, okay, everybody fast, everybody feast, everybody celebrate. Um, And it takes a real kind of community discipline to say, um, this is how my conscience is leading me, and I'm not going to be angry or resentful towards you in doing that. And as I was trying to think of an example that we have in our own community of the way that we've lived, I went back to 2020 and to our experience as a church during COVID. Um, From the very first, um, some of us came to church and some of us didn't. Some of us came right into the building and received Holy Communion the first day that the governor said that we couldn't do it. Some of us stayed home. Some of us went into the parking lot. Some of us stayed in the parking lot. Some of us came inside and wore masks. Some of us came inside and didn't wear masks. Some of us got the inoculation, the shot. Some of us didn't. And we were able to talk about that, and we were able to love one another and have compassion one another and respect each other's consciences. We did it. It's kind of amazing that we did it, considering how broken our families are and how broken our communities are over these issues, right? We were not all here. We were not all masked or unmasked. We came and we respected one another's consciences. And that took a little bit of work, didn't it? It Took a little bit of patience and respect and love and showing dignity, right? And this is what St. Paul is saying that we need to do in the church all the time. All the time to meet each other where they're at and to respect the conscience and to allow each other, right? We're not taking the plate in the buffet and throwing the trash and saying, let me make that plate for you the way that I know that you need that plate made. We're not doing that. Right? And what keeps us from doing that is mourning our own sins. Blessed are those who mourn. Because when I really practice day in and day out the mourning of my sins and realize the depth of forgiveness that I have received, I have no choice but to mourn the sins of others. When I mourn my sins, I mourn the soul and the sins of others. So I'm no longer pointing a finger of anger or condemnation, but I'm saying, Lord, they know not what they do. Have mercy upon them. May we be a people of mercy and of forgiveness. This day and forevermore. Amen.